I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom Tertium Quit, Bionic. Uh, is that like Aramaic or something? No, it's a it's a technical term. Tertium Quit? Yep. Where did he go after he quit? Well, the whole idea is that by analogy is when, when you're faced with a problem or dilemma, you can take the left path or the right path, right? Yeah. I.e. the... You know, they, they the analogy is this, this bull is coming at you, and you can take the mm-hmm. left horn or the right yeah. horn and be gored. But the tertium quit means that you go right through the middle. Through the middle of the bull? Yeah. You don't take either horn. You split the argument into... Yeah. I feel like that's what our listeners go through, the middle of the bull, <laughs> every week when they listen to Future Quake. It's great to be back with you all this week. Tertium uh, quit quake. You've already <laughs> learned something in the first few seconds of the show. You can probably quit right now and just be prepared for the following week. Yeah, but man. If you don't have anything better to do, hang out with us here for a while, and we've got another another week's show to go through here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Bionic, it's good to have you back. I'm here. And uh, it... Uh, just meant a lot to get you back here for being out of town. Yeah, man. I went to a third world country. Uh, California. Called California. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> they have like 40% unemployment right now or something like that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's close to 100%. Nobody actually works. They all just wow. stand around except for the, except for the uh, you know, people in the, wow. you know. Well, we didn't get a chance to talk the last time we had our show about things that were going on with us. So if you don't want, mind, I'd like to mention just a couple things real quick. All right. One is I had a really cool experience with mm-hmm. Brother Paul, one of our Futurians. Yeah, I was going to say, we need to talk about that Outside one. Outside of Austin, Texas. Um, I, he gave me an honor that I've never had my entire life. Uh, something I will free never... Free White Castle. Never, no, it's, no, it's even better than Free White Castle. He offered to give me the experience of baptizing him. And it's an experience I've never had. And uh, That was cool, man. It was wonderful. Yeah. And I appreciate your input to me about... Moving forward with that. Somebody's got to kick you down the stairs. Yeah. It was I like, know. man. God, God gave you to me to do that. Here's this, here's and, this uh, a wonderful opportunity, and, you're and took, to, you took 40 minutes to try and talk yourself out of it, man. No, 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 no. I just wanted to make sure that uh <laughs> did in a way that, uh, you know, Brother Paul would like. And mm-hmm. uh, But I'm glad uh, we had a wonderful time. And he's got a wonderful family. Mm-hmm. And he's got a place that's just really cool. I mean, it's a ranch. Yeah, I'd look outside the window. I stayed there for a couple nights and got to see the chickens running around outside. Mm. And we did something which I hope will be a new tradition in the church in the future. Uh, later the day after after the baptism, we went out and shot some guns. Sweet. And uh, he told me he he blessed me. He told me I made a good pattern on the on the target. So you're you're in, man. So I think that's a good way to celebrate. Maybe we could bring firearms to baptisms in the future and just fire them right on the shot as soon as we get up out of the water. We ought to just we ought to just bring them to Future Quake and just have a like a pre-Future Quake shooting. Yeah, uh, Mrs. Future. She I don't know if she'd mind to hear in the studio a few holes in here, but anyway, I just want to give a shout out to Brother Paul and just let you know what a blessing you've been in my life and your whole family. And they're all cool out there, mm-hmm. and even Cheyenne the dog. It was really great to be with Cheyenne. Mm. And the other thing I was going to mention is, was it yesterday? No, Tuesday. I actually had a very long interview on uh, Future Quake South Africa. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. 
that was a very, very interesting uh, uh, interview itself, and it was, I guess, about two and a half hours. So they should probably have that uploaded any day now if you want to check out over there. You can look back on our past shows to see. We have a link to it. I believe it's fqsouthafrica.co.za, I believe. Mm-hmm. You can check it on your computer if you want there, Tom. But um, got to go see uh, Andy and D. Dutch. And uh, they had a couple other friends in the studio with them, too. So Really? Yeah, we had four people like just shooting salvos of questions at me. Very <laughs> difficult one. It was like a... Um like redoing your dissertation without any prep. Ooh, man, it was tough. Well, I did have prep on it, and it was, still was tough. Oh, but, good. But uh, if anybody wants to hear Dr. Future sing the lyrics to the original theme of Future Quake, you can hear it at the beginning of that show. So uh, that's something that everybody's wanted out there. You'll be able to, um, to hear that out there. And i got a couple other little quick things. And now, okay. so, since we didn't go through this last week, we've got two weeks sort of built up. Okay. And um, I would like to thank um, people who donated to our show. That includes Brother Alvin, uh, Brother Kurt in Tennessee, Brother Carl, uh, Sister Gail, and Sister Christine in New Zealand. Uh-huh. And I uh, certainly appreciate all of you all for investing in our ministry, and we'll try to put that to good work with the materials that we use here and the expenses we have for the show. And mm-hmm. i also like to thank people who got the two-book set. That includes... Uh, um, our brother Andrew Hoffman's book, The New World Order and the Eugenics Wars, and Judge Andrew DiPolitano's Lies the Government Told You. And it's available at the front of futurequake.com. And we also had Christine in New Zealand also ordered a, a book set, as well as Timothy in California. And I want to thank both of you for that. And that helps us and Brother Andrew. And I hope people enjoyed the show we did uh, last week where yeah. Andrew was on. I got one that said we nailed it. I, yeah, I got you a, did. Yeah, I think you got that one too. I got a uh, yeah, a few emails. Of people who really seemed to enjoy the show, and yeah. hopefully we'll hear more feedback like that. If if you don't want the whole set, at least go over to his website over at eugenicswars.com, get his book, get several of them to give to friends. I'm telling you what, tell you what, man, if you like the book, buy five of them, give them to all your friends. Right. Right. If you, if you hate the book, buy five of them and give them to all your enemies. There you go. If you've never read the book, buy five of them and start a book club to discuss. Well, uh, I, uh, something I was going to mention, uh, we still have on the front of futurequake.com the book, um, How to Overcome the Most Frightening Issues You Will Face This Century. And mm-hmm. uh, it's an anthology of writers, 20 of them, and I write a book, or a chapter in that book that goes back to the biblical part of fuel and food shortages and what happens in society when mm-hmm. that happens. And some people have been ordering that, which I appreciate. And uh, also, I'd like to thank people who have been ordering our new book, uh, Pandemonium's Engine, uh, which is a book about transhumanism and has a bunch of people you'll know like Gary Stearman, uh, our good friend Chris Putnam, mm-hmm. and myself. I actually write a prophecy-related chapter on Nimrod and transhumanism, and uh, it's a big windy uh, diatribe. <laughs> but uh, I had a few people order. Um, Wayne in Ontario, Canada, uh-huh. Adam in Ohio, Layla in Tennessee, and Nikolai. Layla. That's and Nikolai in California, uh, all ordered the new Pandemony book, and that's at the front of futurequake.com, too. Mm-hmm. Appreciate all that helps our ministry. And I had something a little special. This is for a limited time because I don't know how many I'll have. But I just sent out four of those books. And the, the ones that ship out of here, that includes the the Frightening book and also the Pandemonium book uh, that you can order at the front of futurequake.com. Mm-hmm. If you order them for a short time now, 
I'll stick in a couple bumper stickers, uh, Future Quake bumper stickers. Fat City. Uh, just a traditional Future Quake logo, and one of them has a, a really cool logo with a bunch of images and I like it. figures of what's I wish about. it was huge. Well, like hopefully a, Futurian Bob is going to get, and Futurian Bob made the bumper stickers. But he's the man. Hopefully he's going to get t-shirts made of that he's image. He's like the seventh Beatle. Sort of, yeah. And he's he's Bob. Uh but um, anyway, I would suggest you get that. And what I want to tell people when they get those those little bumper stickers, they're little small ones, I want you to send me a picture where you put it. And if it's a more outrageous kind of place and one that will more people will see it, all the better. And send us a picture and maybe I'll get a page hooked up where, you know, like, for example, if you go to Bohemian Grove and you see that owl, stick one on the owl. And... uh or like the uh, Easter Island Heads or Stonehenge or something like that. <laughs> Even <laughs> like uh, Georgia Guidestones or wherever. Just stick that thing right on there. If you're at Bilderberg and you see a limo with, uh, you know, Rockefeller or something, stick it on the window yeah. where he is or something like that. But it's cool that it's cool that you got to mention Rockefeller right <laughs> off the bat. Over with. that over with. Okay, we're done. Okay. Um, by the way, been sending a few cool pictures that I need to get up on a website, too. One is uh-huh. a good brother of ours did a really cool caricature of you and me, right? Uh, was it kind of the Japanese-looking one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I thought yeah, that was good. Cool, cool yeah. character. And also, I don't know if you saw I sent this to you, Tom, but somebody sent a picture of you and I as part of the Science Patrol. Did you see that? I didn't see that. I haven't checked my from, email. From Ultraman. Days. Yeah, you and I are actually in Ultraman. there with uh, Commander Mira. I, I did see the photo that was taken that sort of... Uh, that like sort of outed you as a reptilian. Yeah, there's a picture of me yeah. as a, and my reptilian guys actually came out and uh, yeah. There's been several of the uh, shows on Block Talk Radio that have already been exposing that. Yeah. Uh, right now, uh, I think I think that's the announcements uh, for right now. Anything else you got to add, bro? Well, it's just cool, man. Uh, continue to keep praying for my for my job situation. If everybody would be yes. so kind, and uh, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. Um, I had uh, I've just been praying for a lot of different people. If you need, if you need prayer, like you need to pray mm-hmm. with somebody about something, look me up on Facebook at Tom Bionic, and uh, just send me a little thing saying, you know, hey, I need prayer, and we'll set up a time and we'll pray. And uh, but I've uh, been praying with some bro- different brothers and different things, and um, just lots of good, lots things, of good things are happening too. Yeah, man, the Lord's moving. I know, and the Lord's blessing. It's uh, in the midst of all that. It's far out, man. People are getting saved left and right, and all sorts of stuff is happening. You know, praise Jesus. Yes, yeah. that shows you Jesus is hanging out. If people are getting saved, He's in the midst. Yep. Um, speaking of prayer, that was my last announcement that I forgot, and I, I want to run this cold by you along with the audience. All right, Tom, see what you think. Mm-hmm. Since we have a decent international audience, we're not a huge audience, but but we do have a well distributed. Mm-hmm. What would you think about maybe tr- attempting to do some kind of prayer chain? Through our future quick audience, I think that's cool. Would yeah. you think that'd be I sort think of that's neat? Good, yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you think that'd be neat, and you would be willing to, let's say, take a half hour when you normally pray, when you're normally praying, and you would just also maybe add to it a list of some prayer requests we could get together here. Mm-hmm. Um, this may take me a little while to get this together, but I could put something on the front of futurequick.com that may have like a. A little prayer list you can download that I can mm-hmm. keep updated, and also a uh, um, a, l- a little maybe spreadsheet showing when people want to sign up, and you can just email <laughs> us and say, yep. you know, just Sweet. 
say, when do you, when do you want to sign up? What part of the clock? Mm-hmm. You know, I guess we'd have to be on like Zulu time, wouldn't we? So everybody would know what we're what we're doing. I suppose so. Although our future futurians are pretty smart. Like I think we could set it to moon time, and people would fi- people would figure it out. Well, David Flynn might want to know which meridian we use. Like, it's the Paris no, meridian. No, no, this proves that they are Luciferians. Ah! Oh, hello, well, David. Yeah. If anybody talks to David, tell him we said hello and talk to him yeah, man, many, many moons. What's he doing? I really don't know. But anyway, if y'all haven't, if y'all like the idea of a prayer chain, where our friends from all over, we could pick a time and mm-hmm. just keep lifting each other in prayer. Let mm-hmm. me know. And like to do that. Yeah. Um, we need to get on to some stories. You got anything that you'd like to crack at, or? Well, let me let me pull up the. Story I have page. one long one that I, I'm can dive into, but okay. So just the rest of them are briefer. Okay. So. Well, I'll I'll start with kind of a low hanging, uh, okay. just kind of a little underhanded pitch across the plate. We were talking about California. I was over there. Yeah. Uh, this weekend talking to my my grandma, and my family. My grandma had her 87th birthday. And uh, over, just over the weekend there, this, this story showed up. Uh, California employment at record low, 55.4% uh, uh, that's people who are fully employed with jobs that are, you know, like at their current skill level. Yeah, yeah. About half here. I'll, I'll, read the, the, I'll read this. It explains it a little bit better. The percentage of working age Californians with jobs has fallen to a record low and employment may not return to pre-recession levels until the second half of the decade. According to a research group, just 55.4% of working age Californians defined as those 16 or older had a job in July. Wow. You know, I was just joking about that earlier when you went to California. I had no idea you had a story about this. Yeah, no, it's, well, um, down from 56.2% uh, a year earlier, and the lowest level since 1976. California's 12% unemployment rate in July, the nation's second highest in Nevada, compared with 9% uh, nationwide. Yeah. Yeah. The most populous state lost 1.4 million jobs during the recession that began three years ago and has gained only 226,800, or about 17% of those back, according to the report. Alyssa Anderson, deputy director of the research group, which concentrates on issues facing low- and middle-class Californians, said women have disproportionately trailed men in regaining jobs. Women represent nearly half of the workforce. They gained just one of the ten jobs added. Job losses in local government, health care, and other industries where women make up a large portion of the workforce contributed to the weak unemployment picture. And uh, that's sort of it right there. But the the number is, is striking. You know, 55.4% of working age Californians had a job in July. That's amazing. <laughs> Roughly half. Yeah. That's like what? something. That's almost like society breaking down when that happens. Well, I don't know, man. Driving around Hayward, I got together with some friends Monday afternoon for, for, for lunch. Yeah. Um, you know, very close high school friends I still keep in contact with. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they picked me up on BART, and we drove across town, across Hayward, to this uh, kind of local Mexican joint, um, Celia's, I think, which I thought was an odd play, odd name for Mexican mm-hmm. joint. Anyway, we went there and ate, and it was it was pretty good. Um, but yeah, man, it looked like a third world country, man. Just driving around there, like really, yeah, you know the you know the weeds on the uh, the off ramp and the center divider and everything were yeah. like waist high. And brown, nobody mowed them down or sprayed them wow. with defoliant and stuff. And I'm like, 
Whoa. Is this because city governments are bankrupt and they just kind yeah, of I think so. stuff? Yeah, I, th- I think this that's what... sound like Detroit. Yeah, it's totally weird, man. Walking around my grandma's house or my grandma's yeah. neighborhood. I, I, I go on walks a lot when I'm there. Yeah. And um, I was walking around, and, and there was this one street I walked down really near her house, you know, mm-hmm. just a, just a, you know, an avenue with houses yeah. on it. And there were weeds growing up out of the out of the concrete uh, of the street, like, wow. you know, eight, <laughs> ten inches high. I'm like, this is like being, this is like the times I spent in third world countries. I was man. just going to say third world is what I was thinking of. Yeah. 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 So, so that was wild, you know. That was that was far out stuff, and um, you know what? This could be really the destiny of America. Not like go out in some blaze of glory with atomic war, but just slouch into third world status. Just slump into um, mediocrity, high crime, lots of desperate people. Basically, like you say, yeah. going into a banana republic or somewhere in the third world. Only coast to coast. It was kooky, man. It was kooky. I went down. Um, Did it feel dangerous to you at all? Nah. I I never, like, I've never been mugged, robbed, well, yeah. almost never shot at, and yeah. and none of those things. So, And I've been in some pretty gnarly places. Yeah. yeah. So uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm just like lucky or whatever, but I never. Yeah. Lots of people take a lot of like fear for their own personal safety and mm-hmm. more like Charles de Gaulle. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you are a lot like Charles de Gaulle. Yeah. Pompous, self-centered. Oh, I didn't say that, did I? Yeah. Did I say that out loud? Maybe. Well, would you like to have something? Can, can I talk about something that's like the same old, same old for me, basically? For the same thing. But this was had so much useful information that I will I will take the criticism from our our audience that uh, you know I'm a I'm a one trick pony. Okay. Um, this was a poll that just came out. Do you remember the poll that what I read when we were last doing news a few weeks ago from uh, Gallup about what was going on in the Muslim world? Do you remember that? Yeah, and all the Muslims were better than the Christians. Well, they they that didn't, one? they didn't want to like attack other people yeah, for their yeah, faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been using so. that constantly. Yeah. Well, here's another. You know, Gallup is you know Christian based. Outfit, but cream of the crop. One of the other major uh, top-level uh, polling group is the Pew Center. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, the Pew Center has one that's just been released that says, uh, Muslim Americans, no sign of growth and alienation or support from extremism. This was just released. This is the 10th anniversary of the 911 attacks approaches. A comprehensive public opinion survey finds no indication of increased alienation or anger amongst Muslim Americans in response to concerns about homegrown Islamic terrorists, controversies about the building of mosques, or other pressures that have been brought to bear on this high-profile minority group in recent mm-hmm. years. There also is no evidence of rising support for Islamic extremism amongst Muslim Americans. So this would go Say that again. So no evidence of rising support for Islamic extremism among amongst Muslim Americans. Okay. Which would be the exact opposite of the religious leaders that we hear now yeah. talking. So I know. The well, is, and and who I is had better a, at collecting data for the community, the Pew Center or these other strangers? We don't know. They're probably a the the Pew Center is probably run by Muslims. Could be by Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah, we it's, it's a front for the Muslim Gallup, Brotherhood. Gallup is too. Uh, 
It says, on the contrary, as found in the Pew Research Center's 2007 survey, mm-hmm. Muslims in the U.S. continue to reject extremism by much larger margins than most Muslim publics surveyed this year by the Pew Global Attitudes Project. Mm-hmm. And majorities of Muslim Americans express concern about a possible rise of Islamic extremism, both here and abroad. So Muslim Americans. I was going to say, so Muslims are are, are freaking out about it. Yeah, a significant minority, or 21 percent of Muslim Americans, say there is a great deal, or six percent, or a fair amount, 15 percent, of support for Muslim extremism in the Muslim American community. That is far below the proportion of the general public that sees at least a fair amount of support for extremism amongst U.S. Muslims, 40 percent. So what they're saying is only half of the amount of Muslims really feel that there's support internally for extremism as opposed to what Americans think that they're thinking. Okay, And while at least a quarter of the public thinks Muslim support for extremism is increasing, only 4% agree of Muslims. Many Muslims fault their own leaders for failing to challenge Islamic extremists. Nearly half, 48%, say that Muslim leaders in the U.S. have not done enough to speak out against Muslim extremists. Only about a third, 34%, say Muslim leaders have done enough in challenging extremists. At the same time, 68% say that Muslim Americans themselves are cooperating as much as they can with law enforcement. Hmm. So you get a picture that the average Muslim American is like the average Christian American in that they don't want to raise a big stink, but their leadership, both Christian and Muslim, are the ones that are igniting the fire Mm -hmm. for this fight. Great. Okay, a survey, it was a survey of 1,033 Muslim Americans conducted April 14th, July 22nd by by Pew Research Center Mm -hmm. and the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. uh, Finds that far more view the U.S. efforts to combat terrorism as sincere than it did in 2007. Currently, opinion is divided. 43% of Muslim Americans say U.S. efforts are a sincere attempt to reduce terrorism. 41% do not. Um... It, uh, I'm just going to skip through a few things here. Um, for Muslims in the U.S., concerns about Muslim, uh, Islamic extremism coexist with the view that life for Muslim Americans in a post-911 America is difficult uh, and being called offensive names, 22%. It also being looked at with suspicion, 28%. Now, while 21% report being singled out by airport security, uh, 13% have been singled out by other law enforcement. Um it says, however, reports about such experiences and feelings of being subject to intense scrutiny have not changed substantially since 2007. Hmm. Okay. Um, they say life for Muslims in the U.S. has become more difficult since 911. 55% say now, 53% 2007. So there hasn't been a change in the last four years, which is really the period of time when this sudden Sharia law battle thing has come out of nowhere mm-hmm. and uh, is taken off. Um, it says the controversies over building the mosque in New York City and other parts of the country are resonating in the Muslim American community. Why, you would think. Most Muslim Americans, 81%, have heard about the proposal to build a mosque in Islamic Center near the site of the World Trade Center. And a clear majority of those who are aware of the planned mosque, 72%, say it should be allowed. However, 35% say either that the project should not be allowed or that it should be permitted, but is a bad idea. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So half of them, half the ones that that are aware of it say that it shouldn't be done. Um, a quarter of Muslim Americans report that mosques or Islamic centers in their communities have been the target of controversy or hostility. Um, 15% say that a mosque or Islamic center in their community has been the target of vandalism or other hostile acts in the last 12 months. Hmm. Can you imagine if 15% of the churches were targeted that way for vandalism? It would be like an epidemic. People would be like, oh! You would hear about it. Yeah. You would hear about it a lot, you know. Um, I had a um, I had a close relative who helped in a small country church where the Lord was really moving. A lot of people were getting saved. Mm-hmm. And um, it was out in the country. And an African-American couple started going to the church. Mm-hmm. And the local KKK said, you better get rid of them or else. Wow. And they refused to do it. And next thing, the church burnt to the ground. Well, I'll tell you what, man. It's it's amazing in the larger context of the Muslim thing. It's amazing to see how ridiculous people's opinions are on all this stuff. Like, I mean, you know, I think I I think I shared recently the uh, conversation I had with the crazy lady at uh, at Starbucks a couple weeks ago. Right. Yeah. Um, I had another one. Tell them again. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, two of them. One of them was one of them was I was sitting in a car with somebody and. Uh, uh, the, I, I just, I just, we were talking and a, a good place came up to sort of bring the moral argument for God's existence in, you yeah. know, if there is a God, mm-hmm. uh, he would give, you know, there would be, ab- there would be an objective morality, mm-hmm. right? And there is an objective morality, therefore there is a divine lawgiver. And, uh, um, I explained it real slowly and it, it took a few times to kind of get through and, and they thought about it for a minute, and they said, "Well, that may be here true for America, but over there and over there in in the Middle East, they're doing nothing but throwing babies and wood chippers. They wouldn't care." And I said, "So they have no morality?" He's like, "No, they don't have any morality. You can't talk to those people. There, it's no morality." And this person, I guess, had tried so many times to well, do that. Well, that that, that, that was that was the follow up questions. Yeah. I said, "Have you talked to any Muslims?" He says, "No, I don't have to. I've seen all I need to see on television." Yeah, and I, I said that excellent barometer of reality. I said, well, I've talked to many Muslims, and they do, they do in fact have a defi- definite sense of morality. In mm-hmm. fact, they, they view guests being in their in their homes in in a much higher degree than mm-hmm. you know um, any American would. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, well, you know that doesn't really matter. I've watched them on TV. They do nothing but try mm-hmm. and kill people, and they're all marching lockstep. Mm-hmm. And that was his whole that was his whole thing against the moral argument. And I was like, yeah, I enter this twilight zone. Which here? culture is the more primitive then? Which one is the more savage and barbaric? If that's the line of thinking. Well, here's the problem. Which is the more enlightened culture. Here's the problem. Um, I've I've come to begin to really study, uh, you know, a lot of philosophy lately. You know. Uh, sort of, you know, realist philosophy, you might say. Realist in the sense that it's not ph- philosophology where yeah. you're trying to do this. Right, right. And Contemplating your navel. Yeah, yeah. It's it's philosophy that's useful and, you yeah. know, actually leads to something. And It's like, I've come to the decision that, you know, like, from that perspective of, you know, logic and, and grounding and, 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 you know, thinking... No culture, <laughs> all cultures fall on their face, man. It's like the divine, yeah, 
It's like the it's just it's crazy, man. You know that yeah. lady in Starbucks who was wigging out about. I told her. I I think I I think I mentioned this yeah. here, but she was wigging out, and I told her, you know that that uh, she was using Wally Chabot as a primary source, and I said, you know, he's been thoroughly discredited by CNN, and she mm-hmm. went. That's not true. You don't know anything. Mm-hmm. That was. They, it took a while to get to that conversation, but that yeah. was her whole thing. And the Jerusalem Post. Yeah. Oh, well, I forgot no, the, the Jerusalem, Jerusalem Post. Post. I, yeah. At one point, I said, "I said, ma'am, you need to listen to what you're talking about. This sounds more yeah. like red propaganda. Yeah. You know, yeah. like they're all out right. to get us. They're all out to get you. They're yeah, all out paranoia. to get us. You know. Yeah. And uh, she's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Wally Shabbat is good. I haven't heard him say any of those things. Yeah. You know. And she's not going to go check it out either. No, I know. She's not going to go investigate. Well, I'm going to I want to put it said. on a I can't get that CNN thing on yeah. a disc otherwise I'd go and give it to her. Yeah. But I can't. Yeah. You know, so. Well, let me share just a few more things. Please, here. Sorry, yeah. No, that's okay. Side, that's side that's like there. reality here. I'm just throwing out a lot of numbers here, okay? Um It says uh 1% of Muslim Americans uh Say suicide bombing and other forms of violence are sometimes justified to defend Islam from its enemies. Um, it says uh, a, a small two percent favor Al Qaeda. Two uh, percent are very favorable. Okay, now any percentage is a little concerning, you know. Uh-huh. Although we can understand if, let's say, if we're bombing some of these people's original homeland at the time. They might tend to be a little more sympathetic of those kind of groups sure. just of revenge, but even then, we're we're, in, we're told now it's a hundred percent support, and the pews finding out it's like two percent. It's like the Borg. Um, yeah, we're led to believe it's like the Borg. They're literally and it's increasing. More seven of, them, of nine is coming. Right, right. Yeah. Well, in 2011, more Muslim Americans hold unfavorable view of Al Qaeda than in 2007. Okay, uh, much greater opposition to suicide bombing. Um, yeah, more so in Muslims in the U.S. than Muslims in the other uh, Muslim countries they studied in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, oh no, he's got some kind of headdress <laughs> he's put on his head now. I forgot to mention, I you're forgot making to say me fearful. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know where that came from. Is that uh, like some future quick war call or something like that? Yeah, Man yeah. your battle stations. Yeah. Uh, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's okay. Go go on. I was just gonna say I forgot to I forgot to thank brother brother Cliff for the uh, for the cool gift. I actually one of had, our futurians. Yeah, he sent, sent a, you he what? Sent me a T-shirt and some Turkish coffee. Because he's hanging out in Turkey. Yeah, right? man. Because he lives in Istanbul. He's so. one of our. Not it's like it's real Turkish coffee. It came off of Taksim Square there. Istanbul, not Constantinople. Yes, it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Yeah. Why they changed it, I can't say. People just like it. But it's nobody business but the Turks. Okay. Right. Um. Let's see. Uh. I'm trying to find out. Uh, but basically what you get through this, I'm going to skip this, got a bunch of pages, mm-hmm. is that uh, these people are not a monolithic group any more than the Russians no, were the ones lockstepping in the May Day Parade. Mm-hmm. Um, it says here, a majority of the Muslim Americans, 56%, say that most Muslims who come to the U.S. want to adopt American customs and way of life. Okay, The majority do. Mm. Okay. Only 20% say that Muslims want to be distinct from the American society. Okay? But only a third of the general public believes that Muslims want to assimilate. 
Okay. Uh, only half of U.S. Muslims, 48%, say that most of their close friends are Muslims. Hmm. Okay. Only half of them have a majority of Muslim friends. The rest of them are non-Muslims. Okay. Hmm. Um, three quarters, 74% of Muslim Americans endorse the idea that most people can get ahead if they're willing to work hard in America. Mm-hmm. 26% say hard work is not a guarantee of success. You know, these are just terrible values. How, how America will fall if we, these people believe that hard work will get them ahead in, mm-hmm. in America. I mean, uh, it turns out U.S. Muslims are as likely as other Americans to report household incomes of $100,000 or more. Hmm. 14% of Muslims compared with 16% of all adults. Okay. Um, 46% say they're in excellent or good shape financially. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out Muslim Americans are generally younger than the general public. Twice as many report being in, enrolled in a college or university. So these are just some things. Um, it says 49% of Muslims in the U.S. think of themselves first as a Muslim, while 26% see them first as American. Hmm. Uh, which is probably... It says 46% of Christians see, see themselves as Christian first, while the same number def- identifies American first. Mm-hmm. So, it says evangelicals are much more likely to identify first as Christian. So this whole worry about their devotion to Islam over America is less of a problem with Muslims than it is with evangelical Christians. Hmm. What the data What the data shows. If we're worried about loyalties to America, evangelicals like you and me are the ones they need to worry about because we tend to look more toward toward that. Um, um, there's a lot more to this, but I'm just going to leave it at that. And uh, um, it says, uh, just a little last thing here, uh, m- many Muslims are highly religious. 69% say religion is very important in their lives and about... 47% report weekly attendance at a mosque or prayer. Uh, about half say the five Salah prayers daily. Um, it says, by these measures, Muslims in the U.S. are about as religious as Christians in the United States. 70% of Christians say religion is very important in their lives, and 45% attend services weekly. That's just basically the same number statistically as Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um Overwhelming numbers of Muslim Americans believe in Allah, 96%. I'm surprised that there's any that don't. Uh, Prophet Muhammad, 96%, and the Day of Judgment, 92 However, the survey finds that most reject a dogmatic approach to religion. Most Muslim Americans, 57%, say there is more than one true way to interpret the teachings of Islam. Far fewer, 37%, say that there's only one true interpretation. Now, that would mean that these majority of Muslims here are not good Muslims because we've been told by evangelicals that that they do not follow their faith, that they don't teach those kind of things. Hmm. So our, the evangelical They're leaders know Muslims, more about Islam than these people. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Fifty-six percent of Muslim Americans say that there are many different religions that can lead to eternal life. Just 35 percent says that Islam is the one true faith that leads to eternal life. Okay? Over, over half of them say that there's other ways to get to eternal life. Which leads me to believe that probably is not surprising then when we hear the statistics of the people who bother to go talk about Jesus to a Muslim find them receptive to talk. Mm-hmm. 
because what the pew, what the, the professional pollsters find out is most Muslim Americans are open to having discussions. And it's only the fear mongers that make us fearful that keep us from going and sharing our faith. So, um, anyway, but it turns out, you know, this kind of thing, it echoes the the same thing that we had in the Christian household. So Mm -hmm. the the lessons from this are that when you get into the details of this report, the breakout of, except for the different faith, okay, that's Mm -hmm. notable and significant. As far as the traits, they're identical in the Christian community as in the Muslim community here. They're loyal Americans. They want to stay faithful to America. There is a tiny percentage that has some issues. And obviously, anybody who's going to force their religion on somebody else, be they Muslim, Jew, Christian, or whatever, uh, the law needs to be enforced to keep them from doing that. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that they, they came to America for a purpose. They want to live in a way to raise their kids, and they also are open to talk about spiritual things. So if we don't talk about spiritual things with them, we are letting the Lord down. It's not their fault. We're the ones who are actually disobeying the Lord by not going and sharing the good news that we've He's given us. So I want to encourage our listeners to yeah take and think about it. Do their thing. Okay. Lay us on the story. All right, man. No, that was good. Sorry that was long-winded. I tried to truncate most of it, but still long. Well, speaking along those, tangentially along those lines, here's a great story from um, the Atlanta Business Journal. Um, Two Mexicans deny terrorism, face 30 years for tweet. (laughs) Serious. This is in Mexico. 30 years for a tweet? Yeah. Think before you tweet. A former teacher turned radio commentator and a math t- tutor who lives with his mother sit in, sit in a prison in southern Mexico facing a possible 30-year sentence for terrorism and sabotage in what may be the most serious charges ever brought against anyone using a Twitter social network account. Prosecutors say the defendants helped cause a chaos of car crashes and panic as parents in the Gulf Coast city of Veracruz rushed to save their children because of false reports that gunmen were attacking schools. Uh, Gerard, Gerardo uh, Baganza uh, compared the panic to that caused by Orson Welles' 1938 okay. radio broadcast of the War of the Worlds. He says there were 26 car accidents. People left their cars in the middle of the streets to run and pick up their children over a tweet. Yeah. Right? It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, the charges say the messages caused such panic that emergency numbers totally collapsed because people were terrified. Uh... So, anyway, um, on August 25th, nerves were further frayed when residents saw armored convoys of Marines circulating on the streets, making some think of a confrontation with gangs. Uh, The state's, Veracruz, the state's largest city, uh, uh, and the suburb of Boca del Rio were on edge after gun battles involving drug traffickers. Uh, One attack occurred on a major boulevard. In another one, a gunman tossed a grenade outside the city aquarium, killing a tourist and seriously wounding his wife. And so anyway, so all of this stuff has got the place on a little bit edge. Sure, sure. And anyway, this is when Gilberto Martin Vera, who worked as a low-paid tutor at several private schools, allegedly opened the floodgates of fear with repeated messages that gunmen were taking children from schools. And uh, Was that a total fabrication? Yeah. Well, you know, I guess that's sort of like yelling fire in a uh, movie house, yeah. you know. But 30 years? 
Yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. It's like how many people were killed as a result of this? Um, we're getting to that because of his action, particularly. Yeah. How can they possibly do this to me for retweeting a message? I mean, it's 140 characters. It's not logical. Um. Anyway, so so the first person did this tweet, and the second person linked to the tweet Maria de Jesus Bravo Bagola, mm-hmm. um, who who has worked as a teacher, a state's artificial, and a radio yeah. commentator. Uh, she just she relayed the tweet, the tweet, um, uh, and uh, the, everything went every, everything went crazy. Twenty six car accidents, people running over themselves, and I mean that's a serious thing that he did. But I mean thirty yeah. years charging him with terrorism. Um. Uh, anyway, the lack. So it goes on here, and, and uh, yeah, and. Anita Vera, Martinez Vera's 71-year-old mother, said her 48-year-old son still lives at her house with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She said she said he told her that he had posted his messages after the panic had already started. Uh, he used the computer, mm-hmm. but I swear that my son never wanted to do anybody harm or start a revolution like they said he did. Start a revolution? Yeah, so they, I guess they... By just saying that there was shooting at the school. Yeah, retweeting a message that there might be shooting. Well, there was shooting. Yeah. So, anyway, that's the whole... That's kind of what's going on there. Um, What's the motto there? Things are really getting weird. And they're on edge, and they'll throw the book at you. Yeah, well, the the larger thing, of course, is this terrorism thing has become like this hot button, loony bin Mm -hmm. button. You're like... Just boop, everybody go crazy. And you know what? Boop, okay, it, it's getting to be like red baiting was during McCar- uh, um, the what's his name uh, mm-hmm. McCarthy hearings. Is that you can use it as a good way to get rid of your enemies? Mm-hmm. All you have to do is accuse them of this kind of stuff, and it's a good way to get rid of them. Well, that, but if you're wealthy and powerful, you can get off from it. Well, that's uh that makes for a very interesting uh, uh, sort of overview here of an article. It's uh, the the Department of Justice's escalation, escalating criminal criminalization of speech. Mm-hmm. Man, I mispronounced so many words. I don't know where I listen. While well, at least no Russian scientists. Somebody else, blah blah blah. They're like, look, he's bust, mm-hmm. bursting into tongues. Now he just can't read. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this anyway, the Department of Justice um, busting this guy. I'll, I'll just read the two paragraphs and we'll move on. Okay. Over the past several years, the Justice Department has increasingly attempted to criminalize what is clearly protected political speech by prosecuting numerous individuals, Muslims, needless to say, for disseminating political views that the government dislikes or considers threatening. The latest episode emerged on Friday when an FBI, when the FBI announced the arrest and indictment of Jubar Ahmad, a 24-year-old Pakistani legal resident living in Virginia, charged with providing material support to a designated terrorist organization, in this case, Lashkar Al-Tayef, or Tayeba. Uh, what is the material support he allegedly gave? He produced and uploaded a five-minute video to YouTube featuring photographs of YouTube abuses in Abu Ghraib, video of armored trucks exploding after he- being hit by IEDs, prayer messages about jihad from uh, Lashkar Al-Tayeb's leader, and according to the FBI affidavit, affidavit a number of terrorist logos, quote-unquote. That, in turn, led the FBI agent who signed the affidavit to assert that, based on his training and experience, it is evident that the video is designed as propaganda to develop support 
for Lashkar Ayyatiabi, uh, to recruit jihadists to the cause. The FBI also claims Ahmed broke with the son of, uh, spoke with the son of the leader about the contents of the video and had attended a camp when he was a teenager in Pakistan for the act of uploading a single YouTube video and for denying that he did so when asked by the FBI agents who came to his home to interrogate him, he is facing 23 years in prison. They look for any excuse to put somebody away as long as they possibly can. Yeah. They'll just keep building more prisons 20, for as many of us they can get in there. 23 years, man. 23 years for uploading the video. Did they have any evidence it. that he was trying to increase some kind of terrorist acts against America? Well, I mean, I don't know. I haven't watched the video, but... That sort of... Well, I mean, other than putting a video, it may have been a protest. A protest of these things, because, uh-huh. you know, like what was going on. I don't know. I'm not seeing the video, but, you know, do they... Other than uploading a video, is there any evidence of, like, he's saying, come on, brothers, let's get together and fight the great Satan or anything like that? Oh, I, I don't believe so, no. Um, but proof is not needed any longer. No, well, I mean... To lock people up. Like I... Like, like we like I sh- like that's I the shared, problem with rendition camps. Well, like I shared a couple of weeks ago, one of the things going on is that, um, you know, oh, what is it? Idaho no longer essentially recognizes the Sixth Amendment now. Yeah, remember that? I yeah, mean, it's like crazy. You know, you had that town in Arkansas deciding that they couldn't have that political, that little small political action group mm-hmm. that was fighting the city council. Said so it's it's not allowed inside the city limits. Yeah, crazy Constitution free zone. Yeah, would you like something a little, uh, little lighter? Yeah, it'll make you a little lightheaded to uh, cleanse the palate here. Yeah. Okay. Um, use of psychedelic did, did the use of psychedelics lead to the computer revolution? Okay, and this okay. was in the Guardian, a UK paper, mm-hmm. popular paper. Steve Jobs and a host of computer pioneers believed LSD helped their creativity. Did Maybe you know that? Did you know that about Steve Jobs of Apple? Well, uh, no, I did not. Okay. Um, okay, here's a quote here. Uh, Any drug experience is determined far less by the drug than what we bring to it. And in terms of our view of the universe, or my view of the universe, perception can be more powerful than physics can be. You might be excused for thinking that these are the words of a philosopher or a stone Grateful Dead fan, but no. It's from an interview in 2000 with Mike Lynch, the CEO of Autonomy and Britain's first software billionaire, currently in the process of selling his company to Hewlett-Packard for $100 billion. Lynch, who was talking about the power of the pattern recognition that forms the basis of autonomy success, went on to talk about the fascination of dreams, near-death experiences, and the accounts of those experimenting scientifically with LSD in the 60s, all forms of altered perception. Hmm. Okay, he's coming from a guy who's one of the chieftains in the IT world, okay, computers. And this is where his thinking is going, okay. Mm-hmm. Did psychedelic drugs play a substantial role in the development of personal computing? In 2009, Ryan Graham, as part of publicizing his book, This is Your Country on Drugs, The Secret History of Getting High in America, he wrote a piece for the Washington Post that made public a letter from LSD inventor Albert Hoffman to Apple CEO Steve Jobs in 2007, asking for funding for research into the use of psychedelics to help relieve the anxiety associated with life-threatening illness. Okay, so Abby Hoffman's Mm -hmm. talking to Jobs. He picked Jobs because, 
As New York Times reporter John Markoff told the world in his 2005 book, What the Dormouse Said, How the 60s Counterculture Shaped uh, the, the Personal Computer Industry, mm-hmm. Jobs believed that taking LSD was one of the two or three most important things he'd done in his life. That 2000 one of the two or three most important things he'd done in his life was taking LSD. Steve Jobs of Apple. Wow. That 2001 conversation inspired Markoff to write the book, A History of Computing with the Drugs Kept In. From 1961 to 65, the Bay Area-based International Foundation for Advanced Study led more than 350 people through acid trips for research purposes. Some of them were important pioneers in the development of computing, such as Doug Engelbart, the father of the computer mouse. Okay, you're hearing that, okay? Part of the LSD studies. Your mouse that you use came from this guy. Hmm. Okay, then heading a project to use computers to augment the human mind at nearby SRI, which would be what Stanford Research Institute. Yeah. Pretty spooky place. Grimm also names the inventors of virtual reality. An early Cisco employee, Kevin Herbert, as examples of experimenters with acid, and calls Burning Man, whose frequent attendees, including, listen to this, Tom, okay, Burning Man, whose frequent attendees include Google founders Sergey Brin and Larry Page, mm-hmm. are modern equivalent of those seeking mind expansion. Well, you know, did you know the founders of Google went to Burning Man? No, it doesn't surprise me. Those a lot of people go to Burning Man. Well, fifty thousand this year. It just happened last week. Over 50,000 went to Burning Man. Um, There's a delicious irony in thinking that the same American companies who require their employees to wee-wee in a cup rely on machines that were created by drugged-out hippies. But but things aren't so simple. Markov traces modern computing to two sources. The first is clean-cut, military-style, suit-wearing, big-iron approach of the East Coast in its IBM incarnation was so memorably smashed in the 1984 Super Bowl ad from uh, Apple Mac. The second is the eclectic and iconoclastic mix of hackers, hippies, and rebels of the West Coast, from whose ranks so many of today's big Silicon Valley names emerged. Markov, born and bred in the Bay Area in 18 in 1967, argues the idea of the personal computer as a device to empower individuals was purely a West Coast idea. The East Coast didn't get anything but corporate technology. And this is very insightful, I think. Uh, there's a basic principle to invoke here. Coincidence does not imply causality. Um, uh, and I'm, I think I'm just going to skip to the... Uh, anyway. Um, what do you think about that? Um, you know, I was just thinking today about, about the Apple logo. I've got an iPhone, and I, you know, do you? I do it pretty. I think Mrs. Future and I are the last people on Earth without them. You know what I like about it is it it's got it's got four things in it that I use anyway in one package. Like yeah. Freemasonry uh, tools and stuff. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a flip out square compass. Yeah, <laughs> you can do geometry Apron. problems. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh with the GPS, the i the iPod MP3 player thing, mm-hmm. the internet, and obviously phone. And it also has Logos Bible software, so I can pull up yeah. all of my Logos Bible software on it. So it's a really it's a handy thing. Yeah. But I was thinking about the logo, the apple with a bite out of it. Mm-hmm. What? Where did that come from? There's, there's, you know, in popular mythology or you know any yeah. kind of mythology, there's pretty much only one way to take that. 
Yeah. You know? I know. And you know what? If they were taking LSD trips and getting inspired to do this stuff, they may have met somebody on the other side that offered them an apple to bite into. Was his name Mom? Open their eyes. Yeah. You know? And give them enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's interesting. We had this discussion last week with uh, Downing Thomas about technology and sources, and this is another piece of the puzzle. Yeah, you know, I just had a brother call me this week, and, and uh, he listened to that show, and then... Uh, he had something kind of come across his desk that he thought might be unethical. Yeah. And uh, he ended up not doing it because of, because of, uh, in part, the conversation that we had. Hmm. So it was interesting. Praise the Lord. That's yeah. good. Yeah. And and I don't, I didn't think it was that big of a moral issue. I could yeah. kind of see where he's coming from, but he yeah. wanted it. He really wanted to err on the side of yeah. being right, you know. Yeah. And I and I credit him for for making the right, That's right. moral decision there. Got something for us? Man, I have so many things here. I hope you pre-ordered them ahead of time. Okay, do you want to hear about this? No. <laughs> you hate making yes. decisions. You know, there was, a, there was an article that I always wanted to read, but I never had a chance to. It was from the Kabul Press. Right? Kabulpress.org. Okay. Uh, this is um, Killing Each Taliban Soldier Costs $50 Million. Did I ever read that? No. Oh man, I I looked all over for this, and uh, it was it was uh, like so last year. So in other year. words, if we would ask every Taliban, if you'll come up to us, we'll give you forty five million just to go away, but that been cheaper option for us. Yeah, we could have even given them forty nine point five yeah. million to never and go away and never come back, and we'd still be, yeah, you know, half a million dollars ahead. Per, I'm thinking per they head. would have taken that. Yeah, I, I told Khomeini would have taken that. Um, yeah, Ahmadinejad. Ah, why not? Yeah. So killing each Taliban soldier costs $50 million. Um, uh, the Pentagon will not tell the public what it costs to locate, target, and kill a single Taliban soldier because the price tag is so scandalously high that it makes the Taliban appear to be super soldiers. As set out in this article, the estimated cost to kill each Taliban is as high as $100 million, with a conservative estimate being $50 million. A basic a public discussion should be taking place in the United States regarding whether the Taliban have become too expensive an enemy to defeat. Mm-hmm. Each, Which is exactly what we heard Osama uh, bin Laden wanted to do was to bankrupt us by yeah, doing exactly yep. this. He's doing doing his doing his job. Or we're doing it for him. Yeah, assuming he ever existed as our actual enemy. At yeah, all. right. Assuming that. Each month, the Pentagon generates a ream of dubious statistics designed to create the illusion of progress in Afghanistan. In response, this author decided to compile his own statistics. As the goal of any war is to kill the enemy, the idea was to calculate what it actually costs to kill just one of the enemy. The obstacles encountered in generating such a statistic are formidable. The problem is that the Pentagon continues to illegally classify all negative war news and embarrassing information. Regardless, some information has been collected from independent sources. Here is what we know in summary and round numbers. Taliban field strength, about 35,000 soldiers. Taliban killed per year by coalition forces, 2,000 based on the best available information. Mm -hmm. Pentagon direct cost to Afghan war for 2010, $100 billion. Pentagon indirect cost for Afghan war, $100 billion. Using the facts that 2,000 Taliban are killed each year mm-hmm. and that the, the Pentagon spends $200 billion per year on the war in Afghanistan, one simply has to divide one number mm-hmm. into the other. Yeah. 
That calculation reveals that $100 million is being spent to kill each Taliban soldier. In order to be conservative, the author decided to double the number of Taliban being killed each year by U.S. and NATO forces. Uh, although the likelihood of such being true is unlikely, this reduces the cost to kill each Taliban to kill each Taliban to $50 million a year, which is the title of this article. The final number is outrageously high regardless of how one calculates mm-hmm. it. To put this information another way, using the conservative estimate of $50 million to kill each year to kill each Taliban, it costs the American taxpayers $1 billion to kill 20 Taliban. Just killing the existing Taliban would cost $1.75 trillion. <laughs> Um, Let me ask you this. What, what if they just offered the American public, said, we're not going to conduct a war on terror, but if your family is harmed by an act of terrorism, we'll just give you a $10 million policy. I'm cool with it. Can you think how much cheaper that would have been? Well, I mean, this whole thing, this whole thing is so goofy, you know. It, it's It's like, the only thing that you can see going on uh, in America is the taking of a middle class funds and sort of throwing it out the window. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, you're putting in the hands of defense contractors and also sure. Taliban because if they want to find Taliban to kill, all they have to do is go to that office that CBS reports is in Kabul that the contractors go to to give them their portion of our taxpayer money mm-hmm. to not attack our convoys. Yeah. Well, it's not. They don't have to have a hard time finding Taliban. They're right there. Yeah. But you you think about it. well, how many Americans have been killed in America since nine one one due to terrorism? No. Um, due to terrorism, there's probably almost none. I mean, zero is Muslim, all I know. Muslim terrorism, yeah, none. Zero. Well, unless you want to count that uh, that shooter in Texas. Yeah. yeah. Who knows. How to count that? Maybe thirty. Disturb gap. But anyway, uh, let's say you had a ten million dollar policy per person. Uh-huh. Would we come at, ahead economically? Had we used that as our approach instead? Yeah. Um. You know, there's so many things. You know you what? Can... It's funny. Rick Joyner, of all people, uh-huh. said on his thing that God may be using these Muslim nations to attack us as judgment on America. Mm-hmm. And that's something I may agree with him with. But for but, totally different reasons. For totally yeah. different reasons. But it may be his hand. And so you could almost act as an insurer that this is an act of God when these things happen. Just like uh, what his name said when he came on our show, Elliot Nash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just have an insurance policy. You know, We would come out cheaper doing that otherwise and here's the other irony of it too is that when this 911 happened and we said okay we found out Taliban you're harboring bin Laden in Afghanistan mm-hmm. their response was we will give you Osama bin Laden if you will put him to trial in a court in an international court okay presumption is oh if they know it's bin Laden they must have the data they must have the evidence if they know it's him so all you have to do is go present in court. Mm-hmm. No war, no bloodshed, nobody deployed, you know, not all these people losing limbs coming back. Mm-hmm. Just international court. And they said, nope, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. So what we got for the last decade was the alternative to our leaders' refusal to present whatever evidence they thought they had in a 
International Court. Yeah. Now, this is a court that, you know, sent Slobodan Belosevich up the river. But yet, they didn't want to trust them getting Osama bin Laden. No. Too big of a deal. Oh. Got to wrap them and bake them and toss them in the Indian Ocean. Well, can I, can I read something on this topic sure. real quick? Okay. Um, something you'll be glad to hear. There is a new Islamic Antichrist novel series on the way. Great. Uh, this is from Bar's Notes on Religion. Um, you, you're, you're a member, of course, uh, Left Behind series, right? Yeah. And that was like shooting fish in a barrel money-wise. I mean, they made so much money out of Walmart. They're figuring we gotta, we got to turn out some other new reality and get that money. Joel Richardson uh, has good news for those who think that what the world needs is more novels about how current events are sound of the last days. Okay, the the Jihad's Messiah of the Jihad series, book one. Mm-hmm. In a future when world power has shifted to the Middle East and Arab nations have signed a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, a radical Iraqi leader known as Al-Mahdi, the awaited one, rises to power to convert the world to Islam. And they say it's a wearily familiar story. The rapture's occurred, but somehow the world has carried on more or less as normal along a path extrapolated from trends the author, a certain Nick Daniels, finds troubling today. Ten years ago, the left-behind novels imagined the United Nations enthralled to the Antichrist. Today, it's Islam. Doubtless, in a few years, we'll be reading similarly mangled Bible prophecies about a Chinese Antichrist. Uh, the Jihad's Messiah is printed by Risen Books in Overton, Oregon. It is an imprint of D&D Books of Galveston, Texas, which was founded by Diego Pineda, is known for publishing technical and training materials for medical writers. Hmm. No connection to Dungeons and Dragons. So now we're going to have the same kind of influence that Left Behind had on the Christian community is now going to be through the Islamic Antichrist book series, and they'll be able to make a lot of money on that. Well, just like the Taliban it's did. It's funny, even the New Age people are putting out uh, Left Behind style books. Some, I rec- really? Yeah, I recently listened huh. to a radio interview on NPR about a guy who huh. wrote a book about uh, the rapture. But the the thing about it was is that it wasn't all the Christians or all the Muslims or yeah. all the Buddhists. It was like just a bunch of people that was seemingly at random, and everybody mm. knew that they were gone. But it was like, like what happened, you know? Mm. So I guess they can do that. They're liberty this since all roads lead to God. According well, to what God. was what was funny was listening to the author wax, you know, never ending about how, you know, uh, you know. I mean, Christians can be good people and everything, but they really have this hard. They really have a hard time when it comes to, you know, uh, when it comes to, like, accepting other viewpoints because they think they have the truth, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily true for me. Right. No. And I'm like, you know, like, and he, then he goes on for a little more and he says, yeah, they just really have a hard time with objective truth, you know, that there yeah. is no truth. And I wanted to call in. I was waiting for a phone number to be yeah. like, is that statement true? Yeah. Is there no truth? <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. You know? Then you're wasting your time talking on it. There's no truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me have this little addendum on here. Here's a little, uh, while I'm in this rut, okay? Here's a report just came out. $42 million from seven foundations helped fuel the rise of Islamophobia in America. Okay. Um, this link will be at futurequake.com. Following a six-month-long investigative research project, the Center for American Progress released a 130-page report today, which reveals more than $42 million from seven foundations over the past decade have helped fan the flames of anti-Muslim hate in America. 
The authors, Wahajat Ali, Ali Clifton, Matt Dust, Lee Fang, Scott Keyes, and this other gentleman, have worked to expose the Islamophobia network in depth, name the major players, connect the dots, and trace the genesis of anti-Muslim propaganda. Mm-hmm. This is just a little summary of some numbers I'll give you here. The report, entitled Fear Incorporated, The Roots of Islamophobia Network in America, lists the veils behind the hate, follows the money, and identifies the names of foundations who have given money, how much they've given, and to who. Okay, $42 million just toward the stop the Sharia, kill the Muslims before they kill us. Mm. Donors Capital Fund gave $20.77 million. And there's money went to the Investigative Project on Terrorism, the Middle East Forum, the Clarion Fund, which is what We've I've talked, talked about with length about them, Frank yeah. Gaffney's group, and the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Mm-hmm. The Scafe Foundations, or Scafe, Richard Scafe, gave $7.875 million, uh, and this was uh, to the Counterterrorism and Security Education Research Foundation, Terror, uh, Center for Security Policy, and that's Gaffney, and Horowitz. Well, the Lynn and Harry Bradley Foundation, $5.37 million, just similar, same groups. Russell Berry Foundation, $3.1 million, same groups. The Anchorage Charitable Fund and Rosenwald Family Fund, $2.8 million, same groups. Fairbrook Foundation, $1.5 million, same groups. Also, Jihad Watch, American Congress for Truth. The Newton and Rochelle Becker Foundations, $1.1 million. I notice future quakes not in here in this list. It's because we don't have a million dollars to give to anybody. I don't think. No, no. I mean, they're not the the groups that they're funding. Yeah. I mean, we're a Christian organization. How come we're not getting uh, this? Of course, a lot of these are Jewish organizations that they're funding. Um, so total is forty-two point five seven million. The money has flowed in the hands of five key experts and scholars. Okay, forty-two million dollars, who comprise the central nervous system. One is Frank Gaffney who says a mosque that is used to promote a seditious program, which is what Sharia is, is not protected religious practice. It's sedition. Hmm. David Yerushalmi from the Society of Americans for National Existence. Uh, Muslim civilization is at war with Judeo-Christian civilization. The Muslim peoples are our enemies. Uh, Daniel Pipes, who we've talked about before. Uh, Robert Spencer of Jihad Watch. Uh, who says that traditional Islam itself is not moderate or peaceful. Uh, Steve Emerson from the Investigative Project on Terrorism. Now, you remember our friend here from the Tennessean mm-hmm. who did a thing on when they came here to fight the mosque and how these guys were getting yeah, they were upwards of a million dollars in their individuals in their pocket. They were going from people. Yeah. Um, these five scholars are assisted in their outreach efforts by Brigitte Gabriel. Uh, from Act for America, Pamela Geller from Stop the Islamization of America, and David Horowitz. Um, then it's disseminated through conservative organizations like Eagle Forum, Religious Right, Fox News, and politicians like Alan West and Newt Gingrich. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, that's a lot of money. And you know no what? No kidding. When I keep thinking, like, because I probably get 10 or 15 emails a day. Talking about how we got to hurry up and start killing these guys and attacking them. Because There's no time to waste. They're coming over the walls. And Look out. Here they they're come. They're just overwhelming. I mean, they're every night on Fox News and everything. It's just this nonstop onslaught. And on Christian radio particularly. And I think, well, if I had $43 million, I guess I'd have a lot of presence too. 
Yeah. But you've got the thing is they mentioned the five main people getting it. There's there's maybe seven or eight organizations that bankrolling though. Yeah. So you've got a few, a handful of billionaires that are dictating the discourse in the in the church. A few billionaires that are that are really controlling the main discourse in the church. You know, um, we've got Mike Huckabee coming here in town uh, this weekend talking about 911, and they'll get into the same stuff and a number of these groups getting together, getting them, and it's basically all bankrolled generally by these organ these billionaires mm-hmm. we're talking about. So it's very curious to think about. I know that was a great article, man. Sudden. Okay. You always what? get such the, the killer articles, yeah, man. Let's see what you think. What you got there? Well, uh, how about this one? IKEA used political prisoners in East Germany as slave labor. All right. <laughs> you know, they got a big outlet there in Georgia. I know. They also have a big outlet. They also have a big inlet during the Soviet years in East Germany where they took political prisoners to build your furniture. Well, tell us more. All right. This is from the Telegraph. Um, uh, IKEA used political prisoner, prisoners in, in GDR, that's the East mm-hmm. Germany, right. as slave labor. Um, and I'll just give a couple of, you know, just a couple of sentences to overview mm-hmm. here. Uh, classic, classic Revelation 18 news, really. Yeah. You know, IKEA developed strong links with the communist state in the 1970s, opening a number of manufacturing facilities, one of which, according to Stasi records discovered by German television company WDR, used political prisoners to construct sofas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh,. You know, next time somebody buys furniture out there, look over. You might have a little message in it that says, help, get me out of here, or <laughs> yeah. something like that. Pull a nail out, and it's like some guy who's taken, like, has a the half page of the Gospel of John and wrapped it up because right. he knew he was going to die to try and pass it on to another prisoner who missed yeah. it or something. Yeah. Um, anyway, the factory in Waldheim stood next to a prison, and inmates were used as unpaid labor, it is claimed. Gales in the Democratic Republic housed significant numbers of political prisoners, with some estimates indicating that they made up at least 20% of the entire prison population. Uh, quoted in a Stasi file, Ingvar Komprad, IKEA's founder, said, while well, he had no official knowledge of the use of prison labor, if it in- did indeed exist in the opinion of IKEA, it would be in society's interests. Just not the people who were the prisoners. Well, I was going to say, I mean, like, you know, one of these things is like, I mean, you can say, well, okay, it was probably bad, you know. Translation. Yeah, like a bad, like a, well, you know, like Ikea is probably not a good idea to mean maybe need to check up on your factories more, you know, who knows. Right. You know, who knows how high it goes. No, the founder's going, oh, hey, this is cool, man. I want an oversight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hans Otto Klar. Were were they Swedish or German? They're Swedish, yes. Swedish, okay. Hans Otto Klar, who, has, who had been sent to Waldheim prison for trying to escape to West Germany, described conditions in the factory as harsh. Uh, our labor team lived on the upper floor of the factory with the windows covered, he told WDR, about his time making hinges and other components for IKEA furniture. The machines were on the lower floor and you had little rest. On the factory floor you had no proper seating, no ear protection, no gloves. Conditions were even more primitive there than in the rest of the GDR. It was slave labor. Slave ra- labor. Huh. Here's another related article. IKEA founder was a Nazi recruiter. I guess it would mm. make sense why he would see that in, so- as society, right. in society. Right. Right. Another former prisoner said he recognized some of the parts he has made when he went shopping in IKEA after the fall of communism. Wow. Man. 
In the documentary, Sabine Nold, an IKEA spokesman, made no comment on the revelations other than to point out business practices had changed over the past 25 years. An IKEA statement issued later said the company had no knowledge of the use of prison labor but was sorry if it had occurred. Comprit founded IKEA in 1943, age 17. In 1994, it was disclosed that he had briefly joined Sweden's pro-fascist New Swedish movement in 1942. Huh. Of course, if you're a follower of Ayn Rand, that would all be okay. Yeah, well, right makes right. Probably is. You know, and you, yep. you know, if you're in a position of power, it saves you a few pennies to employ slaves, and so be it. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let me let me uh, share a little story here. Um, this also was from Europe, okay? Paris. A Paris court convicted former Christian Dior designer John uh, Galano on Thursday of making anti-Semitic insults in a bar, but gave him only a suspended sentence, taking into account his apology to the victims. Okay? So, there was a crime to make an anti-Semitic insult, and he was convicted in court of it. Uh, that's a crime. It's a crime. Uh, Gelano, who didn't attend the announcement of the verdict, was given no prison time. He was given a suspended uh, $8,400 fine, which means it goes on his criminal record, but he's not to pay it. He was, however, ordered to pay $23,000 in court fees for the complainants, the people who made the complaint. Mm -hmm. Um, Three individuals and five anti-racism associations. So they had five anti-racist associations that jumped on board the, the case. So not only is it the people who heard it, but some other people who trying to raise public awareness. Yeah, well, and sweet. also maybe raise some money, too. Out of a, you know, yeah. The Paris court found him guilty. What was his crimes? Public insults based on origin, religious affiliation, race, or ethnicity, stemming from two separate incidents at a Paris bar. The accusations earlier this year cost Gelano his job, at the luxury house and roiled in the fashion world. Gelano said he'd been under the influence of alcohol and prescription drugs at the time and couldn't recall the incidents in question. The judge said the court found Gelano had sufficient awareness of his act, despite his addiction and his fragile state. But the court also took into account that he apologized to the plaintiffs during the June trial and noted the values of tolerance in his work. His lawyer, uh, Arian Hamal, called it a really strong sound from the court. Asked about Giuliano's future plans, he only said his client is looking forward to the future and continue to care for himself. After 15 critically acclaimed and commercially successful years at Dior, the flamboyant Britain's brilliant career flamed out after a couple alleged he accosted them while they were having a drink at the Hip La Pearl Cafe in February. Another woman came forward with similar claims about a separate incident in the same cafe. Days later, British tabloid The Sun posted a video showing a drunk Gelano insulting a fellow client, uh, saying, I love Hitler. <laughs> As the video went viral, Dior took swift and decisive action against the man it had long created its icon, sacking Gelano days before the label's fall-winter runway show. Gelano uh, was later also ousted from his label, which was also owned by Dior's parent company. So he's ruined, is what they're saying. Yeah, basically. Okay. His day-long trial in June... Translation, I'm toast. Gelano resembled a broken, crumpled shadow of his once-inflated self. In extensive and off-moving testimony, Gelano was contrite and humble, telling the three-judge panel he was sorry for the sadness of this whole affair's caused. 
He said he'd done a stint at a rehab in Arizona, was recovering from addictions and alcohol, sleeping pills and barbiturates, habits he blamed on the pressures of the state of the high stakes fashion industry. Gelano, a fifty year old who was born Juan Carlos Gelano and a Spanish mother in a British Iberian enclave of Gibraltar, rejected any suggestion he was fundamentally racist, saying his multicultural infused work spoke for itself. He is called inspiration for his extravagant theatrical collections from cultures from Kenya to the geishas of Japan. So the reason I read that is, you know, when we talk about the risk that a society would get to where even if you make claims against a certain people group or religion that you could actually go to jail, we say that happens under Sharia law. That happens under yeah, here Islamic regime. But here we have a Western regime now, I, I'm not, of course, neither one would endorse an anti-Semitic remark. I mean, that's uncalled of for. Not. But if I went to jail for every time I said something that was callous, whew, I'd never get out. You know? Just said be quiet. Said unfair. Just speak now. Just kidding. Yeah. But, you know, here here we have groups that they can send you to jail. And this is even before the Muslims have taken over for, for making, an you know, an insult, you know, because of somebody's background. Mm-hmm. So, how would that be any different, I ask? I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I all, would... I it's, would all, it's all the same, but it's just like it, like the emperor has no clothes in one, and then the other one he sort of does. I mean, I would hope if, if he said something like that, you know, in a setting where I was... Of course, you know, he and I would probably hang out a lot of places, him being a big fashion designer. But if it was, I would hope he would be shamed... For saying such a stupid Just remark, and if alcohol him. was talking, yeah. that may have had something to do with it too. But, but that should be the end of it, you know. Now, if uh-huh. he threatened somebody, if he made some kind of, you know, even just a, a suggested threat on, that's a different issue. But I just, you know, I just don't get it. Anyway, on to you, sir. All right. Da da da. I thought this was an interesting article. Okay. It's from the economic collapse blog.com. Okay. It's a um it's a whole bunch of quotes basically from uh various European financial ministers yeah. that show that uh, they know that Europe is in crisis and probably going to break up, mm-hmm. you know. Here here's number 1 from the Polish finance minister Jacek Rostowski. Um, European elites, including German elites, must decide if they want the euro to survive, even at a high price, or not. If not, we should prepare for a controlled dismantling of the currency zone. So he's saying, look, last-ditch efforts here. Okay. Uh, Stéphane Deo, Paul Donovan, and Larry Hathaway of Swiss banking giant UBS. Under the current structure and with the current membership, the euro does not work. It cannot work. Either the current structure will have to change, or the current membership will have to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty... Yeah. Uh, EU President Herman von Rompuy, the euro has never had the infrastructure that it requires. Uh, German President Christine Wolf, Christian Wolf, that's kind of a cool name. Yeah. I regard the huge buy-up of bonds of individual states by the ECB uh, as legally and politically questionable. So he's saying they don't really want to have mm-hmm. the Article 123. The Treasury on the Euro's working prohibits the ECB from directly purchasing debt in order to safeguard the central bank's independence. Um, and I'll just burden you with one more. We'll just go top five. Mm-hmm. 
Josef Ackerman of Deutsche Bank saying, It is an open secret that numerous European banks would not survive having to revalue sovereign debt held on the banking books at market levels. So, just a quick little one I had I had. Up what's there. that all mean? What's you that all mean? That is, for our listeners. Okay, well, it's pretty easy. Like, they're all going, all of these people are in bed, and they're going, it's not going to work, but we're going to try and play. We're going to try and uh, still dance while the dancing is good. And uh, we're going to try and make money and do what we can do, even though we know that it's all going down the tubes. So are, are the rats heading for the exits, like the Titanic? I mean, they're all looking at there, the exits, going, is, "Who's first? Is there a way this watch they'd be able to see when they're going? Yeah, you'll see the um, you'll see the Dax yeah. and the NYSE go parabolic in reverse. Okay. So, sorry, maybe maybe I should have read the other article. No, I had. no, that's good. Uh, let me uh, while we're on the subject of money, I've been talking about money here. Um, this is a story that was picked up by the National um, the AP, and it's a summary of some research done by our local reporter here at the Tennessean here in Nashville. Oh, I, uh, uh, about... Uh, Jay Seculo. Oh, I was going to read that, but I didn't get it. Go ahead. Okay. Good. You got it. Um, based out of Franklin here, just outside of town. Uh-huh. Um, two charities at the forefront of legal work on behalf of Christians who believe their legal rights are threatened mm-hmm. have paid millions to their principal officer, his family, and businesses they own or co-own, a newspaper investigation reports. The Tennessean reviewed federal tax returns filed by case advocates serving evangelism and the American Center of Law and Justice and found that since 1998, the two charities have paid more than $33 million to attorney Jay Seculo members of his family and family businesses. It's a pretty good chunk chunk of change. Um, Members of the Seculo family declined newspaper requests for interviews. John Hoover, a tax attorney who advises the American Center of Law and Justice, said in a written response to the Tennessean, the arrangements between the ACLJ case, which is the other company, and uh-huh. the companies in which Jay Seculo has an ownership interest are on terms and conditions more advantageous than the organizations could obtain otherwise. So they're saying he's giving them a deal. In other words, charging them $33 million, they're getting a bargain by doing that. Mm-hmm. Seculo, who lives in Franklin and the Washington, D.C. area, is CEO, chief counsel, and board member of the ACLJ. He is the founder of CASE and a member of its board. These are the two companies we're talking about. Today, both charities operate under the name American Center for Law and Justice, and Case handles the fundraising for both groups. The newspaper reports that Seculo has taken no salary from ACLJ since 2002, although the charity has paid more than $2.3 million to the Constitutional Litigation and Advocacy Group, a law firm in which Seculo has 50% ownership. Mm. Okay, so he owns half of the, the group. They get $2.3 million, but he's taken no salary. From the, from the other thing. Hoover's written response said the law firm pays Seculo a salary but does not disclose the amount. You know, one thing I wonder about about all of this is that one way that you can structure, uh, you can structure these things is that um, you can ask for, you can ask to just have sort of a pool to be put out and that at the end of the month you take your expenses out of the pool. Mm-hmm. It's not technically a salary. It's just mm-hmm. if our if your company has made three thousand dollars in you know owner's mm-hmm. equity, you just cash that in, you know, mm-hmm. cat well cash equity, you know, cash assets. You just sort of take that out of the bank and go home. 
I wonder. I wonder. So if you have $33 million in expenses, you could have that reimbursed for your meals and travel. Yeah, that's kind of what I wonder. I mean, you know, could these guys be, you know, like playing the bottom line, playing their personal bottom line while at the same, using that to Uh be able to deliver the line? I don't take a salary, Uh you know? Well, yeah, except it's going to a a company, a side company that they don't have to show a salary. Yeah. Okay. That's it, exactly. Uh, ACLJ spokesman G. Camp said in a written response to the story that it failed to note that the funds also go to pay five outside lawyers salaries for support staff overhead and services like broadcast production. The law firm's office address is in a building owned by Case. All four Case members are seculos. Okay, all of them, the board members. And another seculo is an officer with the charity. Uh, Daniel Borachoff, president of the American Institute of Philanthropy, a charity watchdog group, reviewed three years of case and ACLJ tax returns. He said nonprofit boards are supposed to be independent and look out for the best interest of donors. That's nearly impossible with so many family members on the board. Are they going to operate in the best interest of the family or the best interest of the charity or the public, he said. They're only human. In 2009, Case collected $43.78 million in revenue. Wow. One year. One year, 2009. $43.78 million. That's a lot of money. I don't know how much of that is widow's mite. I don't know how much of that is Is that about as much as billionaire. It's close. Oh, that's, just, that's just those books. That's yeah, just book the sets. book sets. Book sets, yeah. So we get. Uh, of that, about $11 million was transferred to the American Center of Law and Justice to fund its legal work. About $9 million paid for media work, such as Seculo's radio show. Well, if you're getting $9 million from some part unknown... I guess that buys a lot of airtime, doesn't it? Yeah, man. Maybe we shouldn't apologize for sounding so primitive since we get $9 <laughs> instead of $9 million. <laughs> um, and about $12 million went to educational programs and mailings to ACLJ members. Mm-hmm. So $12 million of these donations are just going back to pay postage back to the same people. Case directly paid Seculo 85747 that year. Okay. The newspaper review of the of the two charities' tax documents since '98 found 15.4 million went to the Constitutional Litigation and Accuracy Group, 5.7 million to Seculo's brother Gary Seculo for serving as CFO. So he got 5.7 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. In two in 2009, his combined compensation topped 600 thousand dollars. So wait a that's minute. That's a Christian what? organization. Two hundred and nine, did you say? Yeah, his combined compensation was top six hundred thousand dollars. That's wow. why they send these letters out to poor Christians out Foxes there. Foxes have holes, but money. the son of man has no place to lay his head. Well, there's more necessary expenses. But like Sekolo does. There's more necessary. Sekolo can lay his head yeah. just about anywhere he wants. Well, two point seven four million dollars is in private jet lease payments. To Regency Productions, a company owned by Jay Seculo, mm-hmm. and PFMS, a company owned by his sister-in-law Kim Seculo. One point seven eight million to Regency <sighs> Productions for leasing office space and media production. One point seven eight million. One point one one million to PM PFMS for administrative and media buying services. One point six million to Pam Seculo, Jay Seculo's life wife. Okay. So his wife is getting 1.6 million. 
including a $245,000 loan from Case, which she used to purchase a home. The balance of the loan was later forgiven and reported as income. $681,911 to Jay Seculo's sons, Logan and Jordan, for media work and other duties. So they're only getting 681000 Cap's written statement said that the IRS has concluded the arrangements comply with charitable tax laws. Well, you know, I'm sure if they, they do their bookkeeping right, they can comply. Yeah, that doesn't mean... That's not what we're talking about. We're talking anything. about morally about kingdom of heaven activity when you're taking donations of people, you know, given to do the Lord's work. Okay? It called the newspaper's financial analysis wrong but didn't point to specific errors. ACLJ has gone to court to try to stop the construction of the Islamic Center near the site of the 2001 terrorist attack. Um, so, anyway. Why is it... Yeah. Uh, Another one it. of our great Christian icons in America. I'm fired. You know, can really it. relate to the common man in, in their gated community. Yeah. Nothing. Um we maybe have uh, a few minutes. You want to? You got something quick? Yeah, here's one. We've been. I've Don't been sound following. so enthusiastic. I just, I'm just, man. You know, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of having to hear these people who are just doing stuff like that, just taking millions of dollars, and it just seems like a In totally Jesus name. political thing. Yeah, you know, um, this guy that I've been witnessing to and talking. And if they're to, wrong, if what we said was wrong. I mean, we'll obviously do a Sure, retractor. yeah. Yeah, just just show us where it's wrong. I mean, uh-huh. you know, we're just like everybody else, reading it from the newspaper reading reporters. The yeah. That's right. Um, but the thing is, the thing is, it's just crazy. It's like, I got a friend of mine who I've been, who I've been like, witnessing to for a while now, and talking to, you know, just mm-hmm. sharing what the Lord is and what Christianity is really about. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things, he said, you know, I was in church, and I tried to be a good person, and all these other, yeah. art, you know, he the the biggest thing is always like, Showing people what Christianity is like really about, yeah. you know, they always think, "Well, I was trying to be a good person, and all this stuff." But he says, "You know, the hypocrisy in Christianity just couldn't—I couldn't take it anymore." Mm. I went to this church that was supposed to be like the preacher was a real hotshot mm-hmm. guy, and he got up and said, "You know, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy you guys have picked me as my pastor." You know, there were a lot of things. You know, the church I left, I had kind of built with my own two hands, and yeah. <clears throat> you know, done a lot of things for and with. And quite frankly, I didn't think you guys could afford me. And he said he almost he almost like flipped out there in the church. Yeah. And but that's it, man. His heart was still pure. You know, this had my um, my uh, relatives relatives went to a church, a little country church. They got a oh, pastor who was a really neat about. guy, yeah. um, a good pa- good preacher. But he he had been humbled because he'd gone somewhere. He, his ego got the head of him. He started mm-hmm. doing stuff with the money there. He lost it all because of his ego. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much almost drove him out of ministry. I don't know all the details, but something in that effect. So he humbly sort of came crawling back, got this opportunity country church. Mm-hmm. Pretty good preacher, and in town they started to grow. Well, as they started growing, you could see that old person coming back. And so suddenly they became some kind of big ministry center. You know, great big campus. And the preaching started to change and stuff. And so it eventually got to the point where you're hearing him saying, Yeah, when I, Sunday after uh, church, I go downtown to the river down, you know, in the inner city there to where all the, you know, hot cats are. He, he would go to that kind of place, he says, because I'm, I'm really tired of hanging out with you people. I want to hang out with more people like me. 
yeah. and get away from you kind of folk. And uh, and it was always this kind of stuff. Like, and if you ever asked any questions about where the money was going, it's like, well, this is a huge church. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't ask, you know, you don't ask me. I'm taking care of it. You know, I'll fire you if you do. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, they found out he started day trading with the church's money and lost mm-hmm. their money day trading. Mm. You know, so it's not just at the you know secular level that this money thing gets a big deal. Local church it is, but you know what? The, your friend you were talking about, we lose people like that. Yeah, because man. Because of this behavior. Yeah, it's ridiculous, man. I can't, and uh, can't take why it. do we tolerate in the church? That story I just read about the seculos. How many Christian ministries do you think probably talked about that story? None. Like national ones, talked yeah, about none. it. None. You know why? Because they'll be exposed themselves. Could be a lot of them. Not, I mean, they might have taken it. it. It's hard to say, you know. I mean, oh, man, you know, there, there's not a, there's not a convenient form, and there should be, to sort of bring these sort of things up and talk about it, even behind sort of in a quiet, you know. Look, we need to, you know, we as the body of Christ, you know, leaders, quote mm-hmm. unquote, in the church, need to talk about this. What about the prayer we did in front of the NRB this year? It was awesome. I mean, didn't we, without pointing fingers at anybody specific, didn't we sort of call out and ask God to forgive us and show us wisdom on those matters? Yeah, we sure did. And that's that's why they were meeting inside with the former head of the CIA and those military guys mm-hmm. talking about how they had to battle Sharia law. The guys that were making the $43 million, those were the guys meeting with our religious leaders. Well, why not? I mean, somebody's got to... Forty-three million bucks. Somebody's got to tell them, you know, perpetuate the, the meme. You know. Yeah. You got anything else to share with us? Uh, I mean, I have a ton, but you want to just go to you, you want to go to email? Or? We can. We can do that. If you can pick a story, I have one last one. Okay. Or we can go to mail email. Okay. Let me. I'll 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 do one quick one here. Okay. Uh, here's one from Reuters. CIA MI6 helped Gaddafi on dissidents. Documents found in the abandoned Tripoli office of Muammar Gaddafi's intelligence chief indicate the U.S. and British spy agencies helped this fallen strongman persecute Libyan dissidents, Human Rights Watch said on Saturday. The documents were uncovered by the human rights activist group in the abandoned offices of Libya's former spy chief and foreign minister, Musa Kusa. I know mm. I'm not saying that right, but mm-hmm. I'm just going to... Musa Kusa. Musa Kusa. Um... The group said it uncovered hundreds of letters between the CIA, MI6, and CUSA, who now is in exile in London. Letters from the CIA began, Dear Musa, like, and were signed informally with first names only by CIA officials, Human Rights Watch said. The current military commander for Tripoli of Libya's provisional government, Abdel Hakim Belhad, Hajj, Hat, I don't know, was among those who captured and sent, among those who ca- those captured and sent to Libya by the CIA, Human Rights Watch said. Among the files we discovered at Musa Kusa's office is a fax from the CIA dated 2004 in which the CIA informs the Libyan government that they are in a position to capture and render Belhaj, says Human Rights Watch, who was part of the group that mm-hmm. found the stash. The op- that operation actually took place. He was captured by the CIA in Asia and put on a secret flight back to Libya where he was interrogated and tortured by the Liber- Libyan security services. 
So our guys in cahoots with Libya. Yeah. So so our, our enemy du jour, we said suddenly was a tyrant. Well, overnight when it was time for him to go, but we were just doing work with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so we're working with this guy. Uh, we're, so we're working with Qaddafi in 2004. Mm-hmm. We pick up this guy named Bel. Oh, shoot, where is it? Bel Hodge. Bel Hodge. Mm-hmm. Yep. We pick up Bel Hodge, send him back over there. The Libyans question him and torture him. And then uh, he gets kicked out of the country. Mm-hmm. And this year, we decide that he needs to be the new commander of the rebel army. So we go and approach him and fly him back to Libya yet again. The guy we had him tortured by their people. Yeah, well, they. The, yeah. to be specific, the Libyans wanted to torture him. We just made it happen. Yeah, our hands are clean. We washed our hands in the water. Yep. What a bizarre world we live in, Tom. I mean, this all is a big, Isn't massive... It? Facade, isn't it so? It's silly. And they all say, "Oh, these are our enemies this week. All the, these are our friends this week." Blah blah blah. That they, how do they not just laugh in our face when they get us to believe that's what reality is? Yeah. Well, it gets it gets better. Belhad said that he was tortured by the CIA agents before being transferred to Libya, mm-hmm. where he says he was then tortured by Tripoli's notorious, at notorious mm-hmm. Abu Salim prison, and it is notorious. Uh, Western intelligence services began cooperating with Libya after Gaddafi abandoned his program to build unconventional weapons in 2004. Like, I wonder mm-hmm. what they mean by unconventional, like that, you know, that 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 exploding car with the cigar. big flapping thing, or yeah, exploding you know, cigar, <laughs> yeah. sharpened boomerangs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the file shows his cooperation with the CIA and MI6 may have been more extensive than previously thought. The depths of the ties could anger officials in Libyan, Libya's provisional government, many of whom are long-term opponents of Gaddafi and are now responsible for charting a new path to Libya's foreign relations. So, wow. Um, yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Um, All right. Well, you know, I had seen that story too, and I thought about reading it, but then I thought, boy, this sounds like a Tom Bionic story. So, yeah, you know me. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm all about the gotcha. You know. <laughs> well, uh, can I give you one more statistic here, real quick? Sure, man. Um, in case anybody wondered, one in seven believe the American government staged 911 attacks and conspiracy. This is from the Daily Mail and newspaper in England. Uh, one in seven people are convinced the U.S. government was involved in a conspiracy to stage the September 11th attacks. A survey which interviewed 1,000 people in the U.K. and the same number in the U.S. found 14% of Britons, 15% of Americans uh, think the past administration was involved in the tragedy. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Because what on TV they say, well, those people are just absolutely insane. So yeah, you're saying they're totally fi- crazy. You can't talk to them. I mean, then. they're absolutely insane. 15% of the American public is mm-hmm. insane then. 15%. Um, they were asked, it's generally accepted that the attacks were carried out by Al-Qaeda. However, some people suggest that there's a wider conspiracy, including the U- American government. Do you yourself believe that there is a wider conspiracy or not? Okay. One in seven are convinced that the American government was involved. In One in seven? One in seven. Wow. Which saw the collapse of the Twin Towers. Um, and 24% of 16 to 24-year-olds. Um Two-thirds, 68%, said they didn't think there was a conspiracy. So it's a two-to-one thing. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to sort of leave it at that. Um, and go to the emails, if that's okay with you. Sweet. 
Man, there was this article I'm trying to find here. I can't find it, but... Um, you know what? You should gosh. organize them in order of where you want to do them. Well, just because we... Just, well, yeah, but I never know how many we're going to get along. I've got like ten more articles here, but one of the ones was... Is that uh, um, well? I, w- I won't get into it. I, I, I can't give you the the source, so I don't. I hope, folks, y'all don't think we're like depression quake. We don't mean to just do that that way because you and I both know the Lord is working. He's on his. Throne. Oh man, he's like doing awesome stuff in my life. The There's Lord's doing great things. People are all getting about saved, it. and it's crazy, man. It's so the Lord's doing great stuff. We don't want you to be depressed. We just want you to be informed. We want you to be aware. I know sometimes maybe we beat a dead horse, but when there's new developments, we want to give you more ammunition when you're talking to your Christian friends and others to show them clearly that do not believe what other people tell you about the reality of the world, even including sometimes Christian leaders. Go to your Bible. Your Bible mm-hmm. will give you the correct biblical worldview of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Here's, uh, here's some emails. Um, do it up. First one comes from Karen. Um, she says, hi, Dr. Future. She said, I wonder how, how many, uh, I'm wondering how you deal with family and friends that are in the military who have family members in the military. So many born again Christians are pro military, and the more I educate myself about the military industrial complex, about how the New World Order uses the military, the more against it I am. I understand that. I'm just finishing the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, and it's really opened my eyes. Mm-hmm. I've tried asking questions of people I respect in the church and a church organization like Ray Comfort's ministry. Uh, they said they're affiliations of Calvary Chapel, mm-hmm. uh, like us. He's, and they said, uh, I've tried to cause them to think about their support of the military by asking them about what is a just war and questions like that. But they become very defensive and usually will start to treat me like they would an unbeliever when I ask those questions. Yeah, I well, love you know how what that that's happens. Like. Yeah. Karen, we feel your pain, okay? I just and, and sort of the other know, futurians too. Yeah, man, be cool with it. Just sort of, just sort of. I've found that the full frontal assault works good sometimes. Don't back down. Yeah, be certain in what you say. Uh, it's very upsetting. and It makes me feel very isolated. Additionally, I wrote an article. I write blogs about our monetary system, and I mentioned the quote from Mayor Rothschild about controlling the money, and he cares not who controls the laws. And a very good longtime Christian friend of mine unfriended me on Facebook. And accused me of being anti-Semitic because I wrote that. Man. Anti-Semitic for what? Qu- quoting Mayor Rothschild about banking system, about, you know, it doesn't care who writes over laws as yeah. long as I control the money supply. Well, that unfriended because that's, Sweet, this is like man. the Red, squ- red Scare. You know what? Thing. Yeah. I, quoting uh, let, Rothschild. Well, hey, man, let me, let me speak some more. One of our good more. Jewish friends, Rothschild. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. I'll, can I just finish sure. this and give you a comment here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, she says, I am half Jewish myself. I work for a Jewish man, and I love the Jewish race. I'm about as far from anti-Semitic as you can get. In fact, it was very difficult for me to listen to your show on the ship the Liberty, USS Liberty, because of how I feel. Nevertheless, some people think that being pro-Israel means that you must not criticize the Jews or Israel at all. I know. I believe the Lord's going to do something with a remnant in Israel in the last days, but that doesn't mean that we have to actually participate in evil when it happens. Mm -hmm. She says, but I feel that just as America can do wrong, which is true, so can Israel, and God never just ignores that, and he will not. Mm -hmm. And if we try to do things to try to keep them from God reprimanding them, we're going to get hit too. 
you know, that's my two cents. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my question is, how do you deal with this? It is very lonely and isolating. I mean, it's already kind of lonely just being a Christian, but I feel like my knowledge of the New World Order and the things that are going on make me a minority within the church itself. Can you relate? Karen? Dude. What you want to say, Tom? Speaking my language, man. But you know what, man? If you're speaking truth, then just let it, you know, sometimes the full frontal assault is good. In fact, that's what I end up doing. Yeah. A lot of times, and it, it seems to sort of shock people. Yeah. Um, but you can still do it in love. Yeah. You can yeah. just say matter of factly. Just say matter of factly. This is what I understand. Mm-hmm. This is what I understand. You know, if you say from my studies, this is what my studies have found. Most people are shocked because they don't study anything. Yeah. No, they I mean they'll what still the boob tube told them. They'll, and that's it. they'll still name call, but I'll give you a couple of, I'll give yeah. you a couple of little things to help work yeah. with that, right? Step one is to ask lots of questions, like specifically, oh, really? So you think I'm crazy? Why do you believe that? Yeah. You know, um, tell me, okay, tell me, tell me why my where my view is in error. Yeah. You know, and uh, and uh, uh, and then you know, just look for logical fallacies. Mm-hmm. How certain are you in your source of information? Yeah. Sister Karen, all of our Futurians out there, I know, have a stirring in their yeah, heart. Yeah, man. They feel just the be same cool. way. And you know what? You just be faithful to the Lord, and you speak truth when the opportunity happens in love. Speak in love. Bear with them. But um, you know what? Hopefully we can do, Sister Karen, is uh, if I can somehow get time. I, I, in fact, I'll just mention this. I'm still struggling on the email thing. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm answering 9 to 10 hours of email a day. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to tell our listeners out there, if, if you see my answers are brief uh, or even... Sometimes if you don't hear from me for some reason. I've got to somehow get that down to about two hours. And I really want everybody to email. I want them to email because I want to hear your ideas. I want to show ideas because we use a lot of them. But um, I'm having a real problem dealing with all of it as much as it is. So if you all can bear with me, um, I promise you I'll read everything. Uh, particularly if you can summarize instead of just sending me a link saying watch this. Mm-hmm. If you can summarize what's going on, I'll read everything. Uh, and I will answer what I can, but I've got to start cutting stuff off to like two or three hours because I'm I'm staying up to like two in the morning every night. Yeah, answering I, emails. It's cool because I I know I can call you and like you know, you'll I'm be up. awake. You know I'm up. Like hey man, I just um, had a thought. But uh, if you all could just bear with me and and understand because the reason I say this is I'm trying to work on a book on some of these topics and I want to produce some other materials that could help people like you, Karen. Something that could be done. That's from a fellow Christian that uses biblical arguments, that is trying to be gentle to people. Because we can't all think of the same things at the same time when we're put on the spot at church mm-hmm. or whatever. We can't think of always all the right things to say. And so we need to take our time to think it through and put together some good material. And if you all can just bear with me sometimes on some of the email responses. And just forgive me a little bit if you don't hear back. In fact, if you don't hear back to an email, I try to answer every single one. But if I try to reduce this a little bit, I may have to cut it off, you know, a couple hours a day or something. Email me back. If you need to hear me back and you haven't heard, I couldn't, may not even seen it. Just email me back. I'd really appreciate it. Okay, let's get these last few emails and we'll wrap up the show here. Word. This is Sister Peggy. And uh, Sister Peggy has some stuff to share here. She says, um, uh, Dear Dr. Future and Tom B., she says, I am listening to a show from May, and you were talking about the Great Commission regarding the Muslims. I just heard Tom say he wished he were three people. So I want to reinforce something for both of you. 
God has given you a huge platform, and I bet there are a hundred thousand or a million of each of you right now because that's how many people you reach. Wow. I don't know about that, but thank you for the compliment. I hope you're right, Peggy. Yeah. Uh, I personally have no idea why God has put me in my current unbelievably difficult situation. I think you could admit to that too, right, Tell me Tom? about it, man. Yeah. I'd like to think it is, it is not because I am such a terrible person, even though I know I don't deserve anything else of my own merit, mm-hmm. but through the saving blood of Jesus Christ. I could not even wrap my mind around some things that have happened, except I'll listen to your shows and think, holy cow, that's right. Stuff like that is really happening. Sometimes all I have to hang, hang on to is to listen to you two, and I know that I'm not alone in what I see and feel. Oh, that makes me feel good to know. Mm-hmm. That yeah, helps man. people like that. I don't uh, have a bat through my TV like like you no, do, Tom. Nobody's perfect. But but it turned off over a decade ago. It's not too bad, huh? Uh, my my way is better. Over There's a no decade. Going back, but that's still cool, yeah. man. I like the time frame. Now, whenever I am somewhere and I see a television show, I'm appalled at what comes out of that box. It is obvious why our society is where it is at. Yeah, if you watch cable TV in particular, you know, like nighttime, it's just absurd. How could most people know any better than if it was what they knew as reality? Your work cannot be overstated. You frequently refer to the email complaints that you receive. Please know that those squeaky wheels are way minority, in the way minority. Think of people such as myself, who who you don't know and can never imagine what you contribute to our spiritual, intellectual, and even emotional support, So don't uh, who don't tell you. So I'm telling you. You just never know what God is doing through your ministry. But somehow, I suspect deep down inside, you know this too. May God continue to bless you both, Peggy. That's, she's an encourager, isn't she? Yeah. Sister Carrie, I sure appreciate that, Peggy. Very, very much. Very much for your word. This is uh, Brother Tom, another Tom, listener, called More FQ. He says, um, just finished the podcast for 617 and once again, loved it. What about three hours? News, main story, and emails. The things you have been telling us about the church versus Islam and the list of those in the Knights of Malta. Great stuff. With an upcoming election in 2012, the Republican Party will be looking to shear some good church, going sheep for votes. That's for sure. Uh, that's why I think that old uh, Perry guy is all about. The scared tactics of the big bad Islamic wolf will be used. Yep. As a nine-year Army vet, I grew up in the late 70s believing in God and country. Uh, and then in 1994, I found Dr. Missler. Uh, in 2001, I found you. The truth is always hard to take when it conflicts with your church teachings and feelings. Hmm. Keep up the fight for God's truths. Brother, thank you so much. I appreciate that, Brother Tom. And uh, again, you're ministering to us when you say something like that. Yeah, man. Last one. This will wrap her up here. This is from Sister Louise, okay? Uh, Sister Louise uh, says, and I I believe I referred to this because I think we we prayed about this one time before, but I don't think I shared the whole email. Uh, She says, please pray for my net. And by the way, she's a really big supporter of our show Mm -hmm. and sponsor. Please pray for my nephew James and his parents. James is 28 years old, and he served in Iraq. On June 9th, he was found unresponsive. He needed to be resuscitated a second time shortly after he arrived in the hospital. Yeah, I remember you mentioning this. He's been in a coma with a long list of complications and total kidney failure. 
and the doctors don't know why this has happened. Um, and she says, just please pray for him. So that email was still on my email list, and so I'm going to pray for him and our Futurians to close things out. So you mind if I just say a general prayer? Get it, man. Um, Heavenly Father, I just want to pray again for uh, James, uh, for Luis's relative here. Lord, I just pray. I don't know his status. I haven't had an update from Luis, but Lord, I just pray that you'd bless her family and, and him, Lord, whatever mm-hmm. state he might be in right now. Mm-hmm. Lord, I just pray for everybody in our listenership who's out of work. Uh, includes Brother Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of us that may be having a little tightness on our finances and include the f- future household in that as well. Lord, I thank you for how you are providing. You provide miraculously every day. Mm-hmm. Thank you for our Futurians who have blessed Tom and I both. I want to thank you for that, Lord, and how they have blessed in, in some financial ways and in some uh, just in major encouragement ways and, and teaching us wisdom and the like, Lord. I pray for each one of them out there that their needs would be met of employment, of peace and quiet in their families, Lord, that there would be love and that there would be feeling your presence. We ask for wisdom, Lord, in these challenging days that all of us are facing and that we would bear with each other as we try to sort it out. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, somebody else I want to talk to is Merv, who can come tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, that's the end of a, your typical tremor show. Mm. This is good, man. You know, well, I've got that got that song in my head. Uh, I think it was a Keith Green tune. In the arms of love. In the uh, <coughs> arms of love. It's like so cool. Why, yeah. why do you think that came in your mind? Oh, just because we're praying for brothers and sisters and they're encouraging us and stuff. And it's yeah. just it's cool like that. We're, we're hanging with each other. Exactly. And Futurians, thank you for hanging with us. We appreciate it. We're, we're obviously not professional. We're pretty boring most weeks. We probably like. <laughs> you got to wear a crash helmet just to we, listen to it. We beat the same drum every week. I yeah. know you all, uh, you all endure with us sometimes how we have like old relatives that we have to go see and they tell us the same mm-hmm. stories and you just bear with them. And that's how you all do with us every week. And you keep encouraging us. And, uh, we pray that the Lord's will would be done. And uh, also say, if you're reading or if you're listening to this show right after it comes out, just remember this Sunday is the 10th anniversary of 911, and uh, pray that the Lord would stop any evildoers, no matter where they come from, that would cause any kind of harm this weekend, mm-hmm. no matter where it's from. Especially if they're, never mind. <laughs> yeah, from, from any kind of place, mm-hmm. even close by. Uh, just pray that the Lord would stop that, and. Uh, We've got big things going on in September uh, with this U.N. vote about Palestine and all mm-hmm. these other things. So there, there's just a time of, uh, of, of real uncertainty and uh, in addition to the economics and things. So 
Keep each other in prayer, but be at peace. The Lord is on his throne. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Mm-hmm. And He, our, num- our hairs on our head are numbered. So until then, we hope your future will always be bright. Have a good evening. song of love to my Savior to my Jesus thankful for the things you've done my love and Savior my precious Jesus my heart is glad that you call place I'd rather be than in your arms of love, in your arms of love, holding me still, holding me near, in your arms of love. Place I'd rather be than in your.